Hello, and welcome to another episode of Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta podcast. I'm Jeff Kowalski. I host it, and every week I have two guests on to talk about spooky internet stories. We've got a bit of a change of pace this week. Rather than talking directly about creepypastas themselves, we're going to be talking about a video game franchise that is heavily informed, I would say, by a lot of the same uh, kind of tropes and cliches um, and is immensely popular. Um, before I introduce that, I'm going to introduce my guests. That's a good order of operations. I should do that first. I have have uh, siblings, Louisa Heron. <laughs> yes, hello. And Matt Heron. Hi there. I didn't want anyone to think that you guys were a married couple. <laughs> <laughs> or that it was just some kind of coincidence. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> uh, now, Matt, you have brought for us Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, well, when you t- proposed me coming on the show, um, you know, I I have minimal exposure to creepypasta on the internet, generally speaking. Um, but one of the things that popped into my head was how much my like of Five Nights at Freddy's was informed by the internet culture that's formed around it. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely got that kind. It's it's memeified essentially. There's a a whole whole categories on like Newgrounds that's just five nights at freddy's fan games yeah it's interesting because i think a lot of the like ripoffs of five nights at freddy's and even precursors to five nights at freddy's um were just jump scare games which have very limited appeal because the jump scare is fun and then you get over it and the reason that five nights at freddy's managed to outlive that and have such a successful franchise i think is because it sort of fomented this extra layer of discussion amongst people on the internet where they're like oh wait i just found this thing which means this other thing and now we need to like piece together this it's not fan fiction because it's all informed by what's in the game but it's basically the community writing the plot of the game piecing it together a little bit at a time yeah and it's definitely um been fueled by the uh extreme proliferation in the past uh at most three years of streaming and like pewdiepie going from some 20 something in northern Europe to a self-made millionaire (laughs) um, because people like to watch him play video games online and that's a huge appeal of this is to watch PewDiePie or Markiplier or whoever get super spooked by the spooky bear. I'm Uh, so glad I don't know who any of those people are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Louisa, how did you... Don't worry about that sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Louisa, were you familiar with this game at all before it was introduced to you by us? Yeah, I I don't like horror things so I've never played but I have read all about it, and it is very interesting. And I think it's a great idea for a horror game. Anything that can tap into sort of childhood excitement, but also that tinge of terror, I think is a great idea. Yeah, that's exactly um, a thing that Creepypasta does a lot. It's like, what if nostalgia was spooky? (laughs) Well, and it's cool because it really, it inspires fear on so many different levels because of that. Because you've got the, I mean, I think that one thing that's really interesting about horror gaming is the fact that it's the only real genre of gaming where there's a negative repercussion to making mistakes beyond just having to do something again. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. not only do you get the... Like, because usually 
in a weird way, the main drawback to failing in a game is boredom. Like, we're going to punish you by making you repeat a thing that you've already done. How boring is that? Yeah. Whereas when you're playing a horror game, it like you really don't want to have that thing happen. It's really upsetting. <laughs> um, so then you've got, you've got that, which is the jump scare level. And then as Louisa was saying, it also works on a level of like, remember going to birthday parties at Showbiz Pizza when you were eight? And like, how weird and creepy that was like tap into that <laughs> and then you've got this secret extra layer of of what's really going on and the sort of the ghost story behind it um that you learn after you start really paying attention and the more you pay attention to that stuff the more you're opening yourself up to the other levels of scare so it's like <laughs> you know you can venture into this dark cave but it gets harder the wor- the further you go yeah it's uh it's really interesting because like the kind of origin of this he they guy scott scott coffin coffin yeah he kind of stumbled on the the creepiness factor like accidentally like he's not a guy who's made horror things before this he used to um be a designer of educational bible-based uh video (laughs) games for children um and that's crazy yeah the negative review he kept (laughs) getting was that the um anthropomorphic bears in the one game were really creepy looking (laughs) because they had the same kind of weird pre-rendered look that Five Nights at Freddy's has. Now, to save Jeff from internet flaming, I should point out that we do know that Scott Cawthon also made other games like uh, Mage, Rogue, Wizard, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he wasn't just a Bible educator. That was just one thing (laughs) that he worked on. Well, yes, I'm sure after uh, watching every game theory video of this series that uh, that his passion project was never um the the secret biblical origins of Five Nights at Freddy's. Right. <laughs> it's um I have the the theories and rumors page up on the Five Nights at Freddy's wiki and I can't scroll down because uh, it's I'm just obsessed with looking at the the FNAF four um super scary jump scare Freddy who has like the several yeah. horrible rows of pointed teeth. Nightmare Freddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess we should probably explain a little bit what this game is now that we're like 10 minutes into the podcast, because I know for a fact that one of our listeners uh, does not bother to read up on any of the things before the show and specifically requested more recaps. Sure. Do you want me yeah, to Yeah, I like that too, because I've never played any of these games. I've yeah, only read about them. So. Matt, Matt, just uh, Matt, recap the, the concept, kind of. Sure. Um, okay, so Five Nights at Freddy's is a game that uh, is sort of is a very minimalist experience wherein you play uh, for the sake of simplicity I'm going to sort of boil down all four games in the series into one summary you play a security guard usually working in a children's pizza restaurant usually um, that has these uh, animatronic robots that wander around at night and you're warned by your supervisor at the beginning of the game that if these robots catch you they will be confused and think that you're a robot as well and you don't have your suit on, um, so they will stuff your body into a suit which will kill you. Uh, so the gameplay itself is basically you looking at the security cameras and trying to close the security doors on your office if a robot gets too close, um, but you have only a limited amount of time that you can have those doors closed before they open up again. So you have to wait until the last possible second, and if you wait too long, then the robots get you, and then what happens is usually you turn the camera and all 
all of a sudden it just pops out and like fills your whole screen and then you're dead. And it makes a loud screeching noise and you jump and your heart beats really fast. (laughs) Uh, The whole goal apparently is to just get through a one week shift at which point you will quit the job because it's horrible. Ooh, actually, that's where we get into some some theory stuff, really. Because yeah, that's true. Each of the five, each of the four games, different things happen at the end. Uh, one of them, you quit the job, but one of them, you're fired uh, for for foul personal odor, which is a whole thing that people discuss online. Um, so yeah, there's there's a bunch of different reasons why things why the games end. I uh, yeah for um I'll recommend if people are interested in uh a lot of the the kind of theory and backstory on this and kind of learning about the the characters and what it all means uh you can go to youtube.com/user/matthewpatrick13 which is the game theory channel uh I really like those videos Matt I don't know if you have a, another preferred uh YouTube theorist No I mean I got into it originally because of the game theory videos and I watched all of those and then I started playing the games um, and then I've, I've frequented as a lurker never actually commenting on the reddit boards uh, because you know Matt Pat is great at reviewing the theories that are out there but if you want to see the totality of what's out there and really keep up to date on what people are discovering then then you have to go to the reddit I think yeah it's really interesting he just posted a video yesterday that was like oh here's the clue that we missed and then I went to Scott Cawthon's website and he has another teaser up it's yeah. not it doesn't say five nights at Freddy's five but it's like uh, I'm revealing something on December 22nd like, uh, yeah. okay I was gonna ask if uh, the creator was taking part in like rumors and theories and things a little yeah. bit the exciting thing that happened quite recently was that uh, that game theory did a vi- live video stream discussing these theories and during the video stream uh, Scott Cawthon began posting messages on his website responding to the things that they were saying on the video stream yeah. uh, and it was pretty cool like they were saying like we we know this for sure we know that for sure and then he would respond like but do you and then show a screenshot <laughs> that had a circle around a part that no one had commented on that refuted that theory and then it's like well okay I guess I guess we were wrong <laughs> yeah well, it's good and bad I guess <laughs> It's it's really um I kind of like the the ultimate theory that they they came up with which uh spoiler alert I guess um the the final theory that game theory settled on was um that it's a dream taking place in the mind of a child who was horrifically injured at one of these restaurants and so the reason why all of the kind of like oh the the animatronics walk around and try to stuff you into robot suits that kind of stuff is so like ridiculous and wacky is kind of explained away that it's uh the exaggerations of a dying child's mind now you did say spoiler alert so i will (laughs) say i read up that there was uh, supposedly an incident where a kid's head got bitten by <laughs> an animatronic or something in one At of the games. At least one, yeah. So, yeah, that's so the, is this, the bite of eighty-seven? Yeah. Well, so according well, the to kid, the theory, that's that's the main debate I think going on right now is whether the kid in the fourth game is the kid who suffered the bite of eighty-seven. Uh, okay. uh, there are theories in the game. There are clues in the game that hint that that 
took place in 1983, and the details of the bite that you see in the game, in the fourth game, don't match up with the way that the bite of 87 was described. Uh, ah. So there's there's people who say that it can't possibly be the bite of 87, and then there are people who argue that it could be. Um, and I don't know that that super matters as much as it's just the fact that you have to really dig into so much detail to get even to the point where you know that the bite of 87 happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's... Cra- uh, go ahead. Cra- I was just going to say, what's crazy about this game, these games, is that all of it, all of the stuff we're talking about now, all of the creepy pasta and all of the theory stuff, you could play through these games and with and never even know that any of it is there at all. Like, in the first game, I played through the first game, and if I didn't know to be looking for those details in the background, it just seems like a scary one-dimensional game. It's not until somebody tells you, like, hey, look at this, like, tiny detail in the corner, and look at this thing, and figure out this thing, that you start to realize that there's some kind of lore hidden behind the the robot jumping at you. Mm. I think that's a good uh, technique to use in a a game that's supposed to be scary, because I always find that really creepy. Some of the puzzle games I like on uh, just, just phone games, like The Room, it'll have all these details where there's letters about opening a portal to a world of demons or something and it's like it just it's just a letter that you're reading in this game but then it makes it scary because it has this creepy feel like you don't know what's going on yeah because on the surface five nights at freddy's is four spooky games the first two you're the night security guard and there's these like demented maybe haunted robots and then the third one there's a horror attraction based on all the creepy things that keep happening at these restaurants and then the fourth (laughs) one is explicitly like in a child's nightmare so that's scary but then like (laughs) It's almost as if these innocent, rudimentary games have, like, a sinister secret behind them, which is another aspect of creepypastas that sneak in, like, oh, but your Majora's Mask is haunted. <laughs> yeah, I think anything that's, like, uh, there's there's spooky details in the background that you might not have even known about, somehow that makes it much scarier. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, there's this, I talked about it on, on so far, our only lost episode um and i still might release the audio as like a, a bonus or something there Ooh, was you this... should turn that into its own creepy <laughs> yeah the last episode i'll just keep referring to <laughs> pale luna and you people will have to guess uh and it's it's there's there was this game uh made an rpg maker it came out in 2013 called kanye quest um, and it was just like a parody game where it's an RPG and you play as Kanye and it's stupid. But then someone, um, found a secret because there was, uh, there's like a weird little computer terminal that's something like you should, uh, ascend to meet the based god. Um, and then someone gives you a prompt for a, um, uh, six letter word. Is that how many are in ascend? Yeah. And the person tried typing in ascend and they got transported to another area and like went through this whole secret maze that no one had ever found in the year <laughs> that this, this little kind of internet meme game was out. And it, all the stuff in it is like you've, uh, once you solve the puzzles, it's like you've passed the test. Watch out in the next two weeks and we will contact you. Uh, it, oh, man. It, like, it, there's no explanation from the person who made it. Um, and it was just like this little free joke game that maybe has a secret cult recruitment tool hidden in it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's that. There was that video that was on YouTube as well that supposedly was found on a bench in Spain. Did you guys see that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, please no. tell me about it. It sounds so intriguing. <laughs> it's weird. It's like a dude standing in an, in a burnt out building somewhere in Sweden, and he's wearing uh, one of those plague doctor masks with the big beak. Oh, um, spooky! And he's like, he's talking with a modulated voice. But if you watch the video, there's all kinds of things hidden. Like there's code letters written on the wall behind him and he he is doing American sign language with his hands while he's talking but you don't know that unless you know that and like that people even took audio files out of it and then recompressed them digitally into image files and there are images of like real life murders and stuff it's what? weird jeez yeah. oh <laughs> man it's probably just uh, an ARG for the next Transformers movie <laughs> well a big a big chunk of the the hidden message messages were like converge on the white house and kill the president and stuff so like if it is a marketing tool which a lot of people have theorized it is then like they are getting they're getting ribbled up in there like they're they need to calm down a little bit uh, there's always those things where people are like, oh, it's a marketing tool, and then it just kind of goes away, and the thing that it was apparently marketing never materializes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to Five Nights at Freddy's, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. I um, The one thing that I really enjoy about this is... There are four games. Uh, the series started last year, and it's already been optioned for a movie. This yeah. is like within a year <laughs> and a half. This this guy has made like a huge phenomenon. It's blown up like Minecraft. It's weird to me though because I feel like the whole the reason that the game is so good at scaring you is because it has that duality of rewarding you paying very very close attention and then like punishing you really badly for paying that much attention especially in the last game cuz in the in the first 3 games it was mostly visual cues that you would use to save yourself but in the last game you you could only save yourself by hearing what was coming uh. so you needed to, to you needed to be paying attention to the audio very closely um and a lot of the clues in the game also came through audio so you're you're being rewarded by getting to survive and find out what's going on if you have your volume turned up and you're like very quiet and listening but then when the thing jumps out at you it's so loud and it's in your face and it's terrifying <laughs> so like it it's brilliant because it makes you, you know that it's going to be bad but you still pay attention as close as you can because you want to know and i don't know how you could possibly recreate that in a movie because the movie's going to be the same every time yeah you remember um in the 90s on the internet there were those scream it would be like soft music and really small text. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you'd yeah. lean in and turn the sound up, and then it would just be like the girl from the ring and a yell. Yeah. This is the video game version of that. It's like a playable <laughs> version of that, except the small text and soft sounds are incredibly interesting, so you keep going back even though you know the scream's coming. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it's... It's interesting because... 
Scott Cawthon has been set up as this, like, sort of Wizard of Oz type figure where everything that is in the game is uh, is presumed to be intentional, um, which is cool. I mean, I think that that's kind of le- lending to the mythos of it, but, like, the game, part of the, another reason the game is so scary is because the controls are so simple and rudimentary, where, like, if you move your mouse over a side of the screen, then your camera starts to turn that way, and you don't really click on much throughout the game, and so um, it's really hard to control where you're going and what you're doing, and that feeling of, of loss of control adds to your trapped feeling, which makes mm. you more and more anxious as the game goes on. Um, I That's don't know. Good. That's a good technique. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't know if it was intentional or if it was just like, well, you know, my video game career is failing. I have enough money to throw together one game in a couple months, so I can't put a whole lot of stuff in there. So, like, I can only really have mouse over controls and that's it. Um, which, you know, if that's the case, he did a great job of, of leveraging that to his advantage. But yeah, whether or not it was intentional, it really lends itself to making you feel that, you know, paralyzed terror yeah it's got um Mm. there's that aspect that i really like where creativity with boundaries is super super effective like there's no live rendered graphics in this game every image you see is is uh like pre-rendered rudimentary kind of 3d model stuff yeah i mean even in the first game i i actually think in the first game there's not even any animations other than like the the fan spinning and then the animation of the thing jumping out at you yeah. i mean everything is just switching between still images and like if you i mean again it sort of leveraged to be more scary cuz when you look at the camera of the hallway and you see the thing at the end of the hallway, you can keep staring at it and it will never move, but then something else will sneak up and get you from the other side. But whatever you're looking at never moves, so it has that sort of like weeping angels from Doctor Who feeling as well. Yeah, exactly. That's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite horror techniques is camera cuts away and when it cuts back, the monster is either gone or suddenly there. Yeah, it's kind of creepier in a way where you, if you're playing a game, you know that the things you're looking at could do anything because it's an animated thing. It's put together on a computer. But if it doesn't do anything, that's far scarier because you're just waiting for it to do something because it could yeah. at any moment. And yep. there's no safe parts because you can't really move the character. You just kind of like in the first game, I think you just get to look at the security cameras and like sometimes close the doors. Yeah, there's there's four. Four buttons. There's the camera, and then there's turning on the light in the left or right hallway, and then closing the left or right door, and that's all the controls you get. And in the second game, it's kind of this weird escalation where, like, oh, uh, the the guy, your like supervisor who left you leaves you recorded messages on the phone, uh, is like, oh, we uh, there's like a mo- it's a modern layout in the new restaurant, so there's no doors in this office, but uh, we let we <laughs> left you a mascot head and they shouldn't attack you if you put that on. Like, all right, guy. You have to- You're getting a little away from the premise of just you were hired to be a security guard. He might 
as well be like, uh, it's spookier because this is the sequel and we had to make it spookier somehow. Although I will say that the idea of having to keep the music box wound up so that the musical one doesn't come and say and attack you is like extra scary because you're like, I'm, de- I'm dealing with this goddamn chicken that's attacking me and I have to stop so that I can wind up this stupid music box. Like that feeling of like, I can't deal with both of these things at once and I don't know which one's going to kill me first. So I don't know what to do. That's real. That, that really works for me. Yeah. It's, uh, that's good. It's the game main mechanic is basically point and click juggling. Yeah. Um, but what I think the thing that makes it so interesting from a creepy pasta perspective is the fact that all of that stuff is happening and it makes for a fun game. Um, but the mythos that is being built online about people telling the story, like I'm sure you guys both flip through, <clears throat> you know, message boards and videos and stuff. So you heard terminology like the purple guy and the phone guy and, yeah. you know, the, mm-hmm. the hidden room and, and all of the stuff that's happening, the spring lock suits none almost none of those terms appear at any time in the games yeah (laughs) purple guy the name purple guy is just because he's a purple sprite and you can't tell anything else about him so then when people start and like you want to get into creepy if you look at some of the fan art that people have done of of these (laughs) games like you see these amazingly well-drawn scary images of purple guy and it's like this guy was literally 10 or 12 pixels on an old eight bit video that you see i should mention this for anyone who doesn't know um in the second game and onward between the nights you see videos rendered as old 8-bit video games that show somebody murdering people during the day while you're not working kind of maybe it's debatable (laughs) but anyway um so that's the only time you see this murderer is in these 8-bit video games and he's so undefined there's almost nothing you know about him so everything that people say about him is more or less like spun up from the imaginations of the community that like it. That's pretty amazing. That's a great thing that really lends to it being a creepypasta thing. You're right. Oh, and I just um, I just discovered so that that fan generated stuff is going to be really interesting um, because the December 22nd teaser, it turns out is for a Five Nights at Freddy's novel yeah. called Five Nights <laughs> at Freddy's The Silver Eyes. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how much his ideas of this world and this story have been informed by what is essentially fan generated content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is going to be him revealing the stuff that he intended and it may make it more satisfying or it may kill the series because so much of what people love about it now is the is the theorizing and the people who figure out all of the stuff on message boards and things Mm -hmm. yeah um so we're reaching uh the end of our five nights at freddy's here uh for you matt i want to ask what is one the scariest part of the actual text and two your uh favorite theory about the the game series okay uh well i don't know if this counts as actual text are you talking about in the game itself yeah just purely what is in the game and not theories okay to me, the scariest part of the game is during one of the overnight, uh, or between night game, mini games as people describe them, uh, the 8-bit games when you're moving around, uh, they, there's a game where you're, 
playing a pixelated version of Freddy Fazbear, the animatronic bear, um, and you're walking through the building and you're finding all of these dead children laying around, and as you're walking amongst the corpses of these children from room to room, and it's all 8-bit pixels, um, there's a heavily modulated staticky voice very slowly saying the letters S-A-V-E-T-H-E-M over and over again. <laughs> And it is disturbing. <laughs> um, as for the theories side of it, I'm really interested in the way in which people have mythologized the the different characters that are the animatronics at the, the at the diner. Um, you know, uh, for anyone who's played the game, there's a there's five or six different animatronic characters that recur from game to game, and people have started trying to figure out how, like, the colors on the pixels on the children's clothes in the overnight things correspond <laughs> to the animatronic characters, and maybe the souls of those kids are inhabiting those animatronic characters. So it sort of becomes this weird iconography related to it, where, like, if anything is broken in the game, Maybe that relates to Mangle, which is one of the characters that is broken and in pieces when you see it in the real game. So then during the overnight scenes, you see these broken things and people start saying, oh, well, this guy must like, you know, Foxy because he wears this Foxy mask and then Foxy is afraid to come out of behind the curtains. So it's really cool to me the way in which it's almost religious how these iconog iconographic connections have been formed in the fan community. I don't know how much of it was intentional, but it really, it really tickled me. <laughs> Louisa, how yeah, about you? Oh, I was just gonna say, I'm interested in the, the, the idea of this novel. Like, uh, it seems as though this whole sort of thing was, um, I'm oh, sorry, a thing popped up on my computer. I got, got distracted. It seems to me that, uh, it's, he's like feeding off, uh, giving people a tiny little bit of information and then seeing that they take it and run with it. So it's interesting to see what he would do all on his own. Like, I feel like he kind of feeds off other people's ideas as well, but I guess, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, um, it says in the announcement he's been working with a professional writer, so it's probably going to be like a co <laughs> co-authored thing. Well, that's probably a good good thing. That's probably a good idea. Anyway, your uh, your fa you your favorite aspect of the actual games, and then your favorite theory. <laughs> um, my favorite aspect of the games. I've only read about them, but I have read a lot about them. <laughs> Uh, I really like the idea that you don't quite know what happened. Like the bite of 87, the story where you find these little bits and pieces, but you don't have anything concrete to go on. I like that. I think that's very creepy. Mm. And theories? I don't know. I've only really heard the one that the uh, it's the ghosts of children and all the uh, animatronics that are trying to get somebody's in one of the suits. <laughs> no, I don't. It's all don't very, it's all very on, vague. Really. You don't have to be that specific. Um, <laughs> funny thing, the funny thing is that that's actually pretty much totally what happens. Like yeah. that, you are correct. Somebody is in one of the suits. No one really knows who. They, like even the fact that people theorize that it's Purple Guy. First of all, Purple Guy obviously not his name. Obviously doesn't tell you anything about who he is. And also, it's not a hundred percent sure that he's actually the one who's doing this stuff. 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. For yeah. for my money, my favorite part of the actual game is this kind of recurring theme of Foxy being in disuse. Like Foxy's not one of the onstage animatronics in the first one, or one of the new animatronics in the second one, or the main animatronic in the third one. Uh, it's just like that's clearly the kind of scariest one is like this fox who's a pirate or something. <laughs> um, and like, even within the world of the game, it seems like the people who run the restaurant are like, mm, this one's a little creepy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and you- and I, I really like that that's been kind of a recurring theme. And as far as my favorite theory goes, what I want to say, what I want to do is tie into that uh, and say that my favorite theory is that Foxy is a good guy, but I haven't read enough of that theory. I just saw it just now in the on the wiki. My oh, yeah, that's a cool theory. I really like that one. <laughs> Too. My actual favorite theory um, is that I for- I think it's in the first game that you're the uh, one who killed the children, and that's why the animatronics are after you, because yeah. uh, they're possessed by the souls of the children you killed. Um, and the my favorite, I think my favorite little clue towards that is the guy on the phone tells you if that because they're that they're programmed to stuff um, animatronics who are out of their suits into suits, um, but then one of the security cameras shows you an animatronic that is not in a suit and none of the other characters ever bother it. Yep. Uh, so kind of the theory is that they must have an alternate motivation for going after you. Mm. Going back to your love of Foxy for a second, have you seen any of the stuff about what happens with Foxy in the fourth game? Uh, I've seen some of the jump scares, but no, not explicitly. It's kind of amazing because you're right in that Foxy is always this weird out-of-the-norm character and in the fourth game... He's a stuffed animal that's in the little kid's closet. And when you open the closet, it's this unbelievably cute stuffed animal. It's like the cutest thing you've ever seen. Um, and then through the course of the night, uh, like he comes to life and grows into this animatronic robot that tries to break out of the closet. Um, so you have to keep like going back into the closet and looking at him. But I just think it's so, uh, like the rest of the, the animatronics in the game are more or less always threatening, but he's like really adorable. <laughs> you first see him in the game and it's not until he actually breaks out of the closet that he's scary ah god he's so creepy all right so uh that's that's gonna be our our episode here um do you guys have anything that you would like our audience to know about that you work on perhaps where they can find you online if you would like them to be able to matt you can go first um well right now i'm working on writing uh the new version of a game called scion it's a tabletop role-playing game it's gonna be a really great game and um i hope that people who are fans of tabletops check it out when it comes out uh sometime next year louisa how about you well (laughs) i'm not doing anything fancy but you can always follow me on twitter I'm at Heron Bird, Heron with two R's. And yeah, be my friend on Twitter. It'll be fun. And if you slide into her DMs, she'll mail you cookies, probably. Yeah, I'm making totally that will. promise on her behalf. <laughs> uh, y- y'all can reach me as as usual on Twitter at J3FK at weaponizedlanguage.com, uh, where you can download more episodes of this show. You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes from there. You can rate and review. Please do that. Uh, you can also find 
on weaponizedlanguage.com Frank Ecto Ghost Detective, which is an audio drama I make, and there should be... Yes, it's wonderful. Listen to that. Oh, thank you. There should be a third episode coming soon. Uh, and with that, I am spookily signing off. I always forget to think of a spooky <laughs> sign-off. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Good night. <laughs>